and the Lord said unto Moses, Come forth. But he came fifth and was disqualified for life. Alma May Poynton. G'day everybody, I'm Scott Poynton and this is another special edition of a Kui podcast where I read out one of the stories from the magical appearance of earthworms. This is story three, it's called Mum. The little quote that I just read that I started with, every couple of stories I'm going to come with a little quote like this. My nan in particular was very famous for little sayings. My dad had some funny ones too. So I pepper the stories with these little quotes just to give us a bit of flavour on some of the old wisdom of, uh, of my nan and my dad, some of the things they used to say. Anyway, here we go. This is Mum. When you were little, my beautiful Scotty, Mum whispered gently, slowly stroking my fevered head. Whenever I'd go anywhere in the car, you'd run down the road, crying after me. She reckoned it drove Dad so completely bonkers, he threatened to leg rope me. You weren't even two years old, but off you'd go, in your nappy, calling after me. We just couldn't be apart, you and me. You wouldn't let me. Aching so terribly, deep inside with the pain of it, I'd think, it's because I love you, Mum, so much. Dad never told her, so I didn't either. But I knew she knew. Mum knew everything. Whenever I got sick, which wasn't very often, Mum would give me a hot lemon drink and bring me into her bed. Hop in here, she'd say. You can sleep with me tonight. She'd rug me up under the blankets, all marked with smoke burns from where she'd nodded off in the past. A bloody miracle we weren't all burnt to death in our sleep. She'd read a magazine, smoking away, and I'd lie with my head on her breast, my arm over her stomach in a fuggy bliss while she caressed my head. Dad was usually off travelling, so it wasn't any stress for him, but when he was at home, Mum would evict him to the lounge room couch. He'd grumble a bit, but not too badly. It only made the occasion more special. Mum had the bluest blue eyes I'd ever seen. I'd lie there while she stroked my head and look up into vast oceans that were bright, shimmering surfaces, with sunlight dancing off the becalmed, oily flatness. All at once, they were deep, dark fathoms, hiding giant squid, monster sea creatures and flying fish. There were ships riding white horses, pirates and naval captains fought with cannon and sword. Ahoy, me hearties, they'd cry in full battle. There were treasures buried on magical, white, sandy, coconut palm-covered beaches, while huge white whales breached and blew massive water spouts into the sky, the mist-making rainbows against orange and red sunsets. The clunk, 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 as Captain Ahab paced the wooden deck. It was epic theatre. Mum's eyes were life itself, just so beautiful. That her lovely face framed them only gave me greater joy to look at them. When Mum smiled, and she often did, it was a gift. She poured so much love and happiness into it that I'd feel two feet taller. I could take on the world. She had wrinkles that creased into their own adventures, different every time, like wind-blown ripples on the sand dunes. Her white teeth would beam towards me, pick me up and bear-hug me. I was loved, just exactly how I was, and that was how she let me know. Not that she couldn't get cranky. If I ever did something wrong or stupid, and that wasn't as rare an occasion as I'd have liked, I'd get a good telling off, sometimes a clip around the ear. If my brother or I had screwed up badly enough, there was the strap. Sitting on the couch in the lounge room, I could look through the door into the kitchen and there, on the door jamb, a leather strap 
hung on a nail for just such occasions. When I knew I'd stuffed up but didn't know how badly, I'd sit on the couch and crane my head sideways to get side of the strap. I'd wait to see if Mum's hand would reach up to take it off its nail. If it did, it was time to bolt. I'd nip in behind the couch where Mum couldn't get a good swing at me and though she'd yell and scream, Come out of there, you little bastard! I never would. She'd thrash and swipe at me, but after a bit she'd get knackered and head back to make a cup of tea in the kitchen. You wait until your father comes home. Dad's return was usually a few days away, and by then, Mum would have forgotten, so I'd get away with it. If he was about, he'd usually come home after I'd gone to bed, what with the horses and beers at Kelly's. More often than not, I escaped with a stern word. If she ever did get hold of me, she'd give me a good lashing, and I'd spend the next few baths admiring the strap marks on my legs. I have a very vivid memory of Mum holding my brother upside down, shaking the hell out of him. It was the weekend, and we'd spotted some kids over at the school. Whenever we saw kids over there, we'd make a plan to sneak up on them like commandos and throw stones at them. We were stupid bastards. William Street was a dirt road, so there was never any shortage of yonnies. We'd fill our pockets and sneak over to school. It seldom amounted to anything other than a bit of adventure, and I can't ever remember too many stones being thrown. The kids would eventually spy us and tell us to piss off, or it'd take so long for us to circle about, going from bush to bush, to get close enough that most times the kids had already gone. The trouble was, we'd always forget to empty our pockets. Mum had a newfangled washing machine, but she still had to put the clothes through a ringer, and I can only imagine that the stones made that a challenge. She'd clearly had a gutful, and seeing us coming home conspiratorially from school one otherwise dull Saturday afternoon, she stormed out and confronted us. You got any stones in your pockets, you little bastards? Jesus Christ, yes I do, I thought to myself. My brother always got the beating first, so as Mum went for him, grabbed him, and turned him upside down, shaking the hell out of him. I found myself rooted to the spot in terror. Mum started screaming, Bloody stones in your bloody pockets breaking my bloody washing machine, you little bastards! I madly thrashed away at my pockets trying to get the stones out. It was hard work. I'd really loaded up big time, and my small pockets were bulging with stones of all sizes. Under pressure from Mum's impending descent upon my wee self, I couldn't seem to wrangle them out. Mum's strength amazed me. My brother was a big bastard, but she held him up with one hand while giving him a good strap with the other. She was obviously very bloody angry, because I'd never seen her like that. He was screaming blue murder. Stop, Mum! Stop! I'm sorry! I won't do it again! Which we all knew was bullshit, because we never learned. By the time she chucked him aside and came for me, I was able to show an empty pocket. She paused a moment, caught off guard by my sweet, cheesy, not me, Mum, smile, as I raised my arms either side of me, palms open and empty. Mum was panting with the exertion of having given Carl a good thrashing, but she looked at me sideways. She could smell her at. She wasn't stupid. On closer inspection, she could see all the dirt and dust on my jeans and the stones scattered around at my feet. You little bastard, she said, and lurched at me. But she was too buggered to get a good hold of me, so she took a big round arm swipe with a view to giving me a thwacking around the ear. I saw it coming and ducked under it with ease, and she stumbled forward, off balance, and that only pissed her off more. I was smart enough not to hang around though, so I jumped over Carl who was picking himself off the ground and bolted out the back. I called up the dogs. They were always annoyed when I went commando style to the school with Carl because I never took them. They'd have only given our position away and slipped through the hole in the back fence and headed down the pond. I knew mum didn't hold grudges, so if I buggered off for a while, by the time I got back, she'd have forgotten about it. Mum spent a lot of time with her feet up, legs crossed, resting on the kitchen table. Dad hated it, 
She'd have a big cup of tea beside her and at least one pack of Rothmans handy, always a ciggy burning in the ashtray or in her mouth. Like Dad, she was a chimney. She'd direct traffic from there. Get us some milk, love, will you? Pop another log on the burner? We had an old combustion stove and we had to keep the wood or briquettes up to it so Mum could cook and also for hot water. I badly burnt the back of my hand once, chucking in a log. Mum got the scissors, cut off all the burnt skin, hit it with some Dettol, Christ, it stung, and sent me on my way. Same thing happened when I tripped over the iron cord and pulled the iron down onto my arm. It was a bad burn that burnt like buggery, but a bit of plaster and disinfectant, a quick hug, and I was expected to get on with it. I don't remember ever seeing the doctor when I was little. We were at Turidan Beach once, Mum resting on the bank after a swim, I'd gone up onto the jetty to fish. In my wisdom, I'd not worn any thongs, and I'd managed to get an inch-long splinter wedged into the sole of my foot. Bloody painful and shocking to see it in there, just under the skin. I hobbled down to show Mum. Jesus Christ, she exclaimed. You idiot! Where are your shoes? After an initial worry, she said, sit down here and we'll get it out. She didn't have any proper splinter-removing needles, like she always did at home. So she got hold one of her hair bobby pins, and took to me with that. Home was only 15 minutes drive away, but she wasn't going to leave the beach for that. She dug in there with great gusto and told me I wasn't allowed to scream. It was so bloody painful, but I knew we weren't going anywhere until the bloody thing was out of there, so no good moaning. It took her a good while with much excavation. Bobby pins are blunt. And I was clenching my teeth, rolling around grimacing, while holding my legs still, so Mum wouldn't get angry. But eventually she got it out, and proudly held it up to show me. Christ almighty, I thought to myself. It was bloody massive. Mum was no nonsense, so clipped me around the ear, told me to go and put my foot in the salt water, and finished with, and for Christ's sake, wear your bloody thongs. I went back to fishing, and she went back to resting. We didn't often go to Turidan. Mum loved Cannons Creek. We never went to the more sandy beaches in Frankston. I don't know why. Cannons Creek was a mudflat estuary, opening onto Western Port Bay. Loads of birds and wildlife. Mum was a great swimmer and had grown up in Albury, on the Murray River that forms the border between New South Wales and Victoria. She'd tell us how she'd spent her whole time swimming, back and forth, from state to state. I was in awe. I was a pretty rubbish swimmer and would wade and splash about a bit. Mostly I'd spend our time there in the mangroves, checking out crabs and other nature. Mum didn't pay any attention to whether we were wearing a hat or a shirt and we seldom put on sunscreen. I'm not sure it even existed at the time. I remember coming home like a lobster more than once, lying still with blisters on my back, arms, legs or feet, unable to move, unable to sleep. I loved going there though, and I'd always ask mum to take me for a swim. Every now and then she'd oblige and take me on her back out into deep water. She was so great. It was exhilarating as mum's gentle but strong breaststroke carried me around. I'd squeal with the joy of it, and Mum would laugh and smile with unbridled happiness. Don't move around too much, love. You'll drown us, she'd say. We lived on a quarter-acre block, and out the back, we had a mini farm. Mum didn't have a full-time job, apart from looking after us buggers, and that was tough enough. But she made money by breeding chooks and ducks, and selling them locally for meat. One Christmas, I counted 72 ducks running around the pen at the back, and I couldn't get through all the chooks, It was my job to help her dress them. That was more about killing the poor buggers and undressing them as fast as possible. I learned with amazement that both chickens and ducks run around quite dramatically after you chop their heads off with an axe. 
Our laundry was outside in a shed, off the side of our bungalow, and we had two big concrete sinks there. One was for all the clothes, Mum's washing machine and the ringer sat there in anticipation, but the other was for washing dogs and dressing birds. Once they'd stopped running about, and Mum didn't like me letting them do that because blood went everywhere, I'd put them in the sink and pour really hot water over them. That made it easier to get their feathers off. A snip with a knife and a hand up their bums would have all their gizzards and organs out, and before too long, I was elbow deep in guts and feathers. That was a constant job throughout the year, but it was a big event around Christmas, as Mum's birds were highly prized, so there was a big demand. We had plenty of other animals too. We had four dogs. Craig was my favourite, my best mate. He was a pedigree miniature poodle. Breba Craig was his proper name, which always made me laugh. I'd call him Sir Breba Craig when I felt formality and deep respect was required. Jane, Panda and Kiwi were all Labradors. Kiwi was Jane's son. There'd been other dogs too. We had a spotty Dalmatian for a while, but Mum thought she was a bit loopy, so she found someone else to take her. Then there was little Rusty. He couldn't stop biting me, and one day, after he'd snapped me badly, he disappeared. I always worried what happened to Rusty, poor little bloke. And then there was Dad's dog, Marlo. My brother had his pigeons, but we also had guinea pigs, rabbits, every now and then a potty calf, and at one time, a Shetland pony that I'd ride around the yard like Lord Mark. We had a few geese once, but they were so aggressive Mum got rid of them. It was one big menagerie, and from time to time, we'd have a school field trip to my place so all the kids could see the animals. Mum organised it, and it made me so proud. I was always sure to let the most annoying kids hold the ducklings, because you'd be confident that after 30 seconds, the duckling would get cranky, and if it wasn't put down pronto, it would squirt a wicked, liquid green poo right down the kid's shirt. Anyone who'd been mean to me at school was encouraged to hold ducklings, and that usually took the smiles right off their faces. Mum knew what I was up to, and would wink surreptitiously in my direction. It was a terrific time, and Mum coordinated everything. Meals were meat and three veg, and some canned fruit for sweets. Nothing fancy, but I grew up strong and active. Mum never let us leave the table until our plates were spotless clean. I didn't cook dinner for you to give it to the dogs, she'd say. I remember Mum serving corned beef once, and it was so bad that I looked for Craig, ever present by my side. Mum had her back turned to me, doing the dishes, so I thought I could quickly slip it to him, and she'd not notice. Just as I was about to whip it below the table, Mum growled, Don't even think about it. And I looked up to see her still looking at the sink, washing dishes. How'd she know? I wondered to myself. But reading my mind, she quickly answered, I've got eyes in the back of my head, so watch out. Mum took me everywhere with her and I spent a lot of time sitting in the car waiting. She had a job cleaning the local national bank for a while and in the evenings sometimes we'd drive the five minutes from home to the bank with all her mops, brooms and cleaning chemicals in a bucket. She'd go in there for a good hour or more. I'd sit in the car and look for her. Sometimes I'd get a glimpse of her through the big glass windows, sweeping and mopping floors, wiping surfaces. I never understood it. I didn't like seeing her working like that. It upset me. I always felt she worked enough at home. Why did she have to clean someone else's floor? She had a job serving summonses on people for a while too. It was nasty, dangerous work, and I never understood why Mum had to do it. She'd often take me with her. I reckoned it was for courage, because I quickly caught on that people didn't like being served summonses. Sometimes they'd get really angry, 
they'd scream at Mum and throw the summons back in her face. I hated it. She'd turn around and walk quickly back to the car. Sometimes the people would chase after her, yelling and screaming. I could see her face all stern and serious, her jaw locked tight. There was fear in her beautiful eyes, and it scared me. I never liked going on those trips with Mum, but she said she needed me, and I hated the idea that she'd be on her own. It was boring and scary at the same time, but I knew I was helping, so I didn't complain. Not that it would have done any good, anyway. Once Mum went to Wilhouse's stables, where we kept the horses. Carl and I were in the car, and she told us to wait there and not come inside. Old Mr Wheelhouse was there, she said, and she needed to speak with him. His son John was there too. We were sat in the car for ages, windows down in the hot weather. Boredom kicked in so terribly that we began to fight and my brother bit me. I screamed blue murder and jumped out of the car. Mum finally came out. She must have heard the commotion and wanted to know why us little bastards couldn't just sit quietly while she was inside. He bit me, I yelled. Bit you? Where? Mum asked. I showed her the bite mark on my bum and she told me to get in the car. She yanked my brother out, whipped down his pants and bit him right where he'd bitten me. He screamed as she clipped his ear and chucked him back in the car. Mum did justice pretty well. I remember thinking, you won't do that again, you bastard, will you? I'd often find big blue-tongued lizards on my walks with the dogs. I remember once bringing a lizard home in a bucket with some grass and rocks. I was planning on keeping it as a pet. Mum wasn't keen on it and told me to go and set it free, but she really went ballistic when I returned home once with a jar full of red-backed spiders. I'd been pretty careful in catching them. They're deadly poisonous, we'd always been told, but I couldn't help myself, and Mum asked what I had behind my back. I couldn't lie, so I showed her. She hit the roof, and I got told in no uncertain term that there was something very wrong with me and to go and put the bloody things back where you found them and don't ever do that again. I'd scared her to death, I think. Sometimes, on moonlit summer evenings, Mum would bring me outside to sit with her and gaze at the stars. Our back step was made of concrete, so I'd worry about piles and blood vessels. It was always after a long, hot, sunny day, and the concrete was pretty warm. Since Mum was sitting there without worrying, I figured it was okay. I don't recall ever seeing Mum drink a beer, but she'd come over all reflective, like Dad sometimes, when he came home late from Kelly's. Look up there, Scotty she'd say, and point to a really bright star glowing in the night. That's your granddad, that star right there, do you see it? I'd squint my eyes and look up along her arm to see where she was pointing, and though there were a few stars up there, there was always one really bright one, and I was convinced that that was indeed my grandfather. He's looking down on you to protect you, she'd say, and to make sure you don't ever tell a lie. Mum's dad, Carl Spence, had died long before I'd been born, and Mum had a photo of him next to her bed. He'd been a police officer, and Mum told me how everyone in Albury had respected him so much that when he died, they'd had a big parade through town. A state funeral, Mum said. He was your grandfather, Scotty, and he was such a good man. He never, ever lied, she'd tell me. I miss him very much. I loved him so, so much, she'd say, and I could see how terribly she meant it. I'd give her a hug. Craig and I would sit there with Mum, looking up at the star, at Grandad Spence, and Mum would make me pledge never, ever, to lie to her or anyone else. Cross your heart and hope to die, she'd urge, and I'd cross my heart with my finger and say, hope to die, 
Mum would smile her magic, love me with her eyes, and hug the breath out of me. We'd sit there a while longer in silence, holding hands. All the animals in the yard would make getting ready to sleep noises, while crickets sang to their lovers. Mum would finally stir and stroke the back of my head. Time to go inside, love, to sleep. And up we'd get, and inside we go. A freshly burnt cross, seared across my heart. That's story three of the magical appearance of earthworms called Mum. I'm Scott Poynton. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.